Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, my first guest is, uh, I, I said that he was a Hall of Fame NBA player, coach, and human being. And that's uh, my brother, Lenny Wilkins, who also uh, it was the coach of the 1979 CL Supersonics NBA championship basketball team. And we'll talk about that at another time. But Lenny Wilkins does so much work in the community. Uh, he and his foundation raised millions of dollars uh, to uh, help Odessa Brown. And that's one of the reasons why they have the Odessa Brown at the Othello Street Station. Uh, they are acknowledging uh, Coach Wilkins by uh, naming uh, part of the facility for him in the four-year in the sports court. So once again, Coach Lenny Wilkins, uh, we really appreciate all you do for the community. And why don't you just go ahead and share with our listeners the vision, how you got started in this. And are you satisfied right now with, uh, with the progress of Odessa Brown uh, at Othello Station? Well, uh, thanks, Eddie. I always appreciate you. And, uh, you know, I, I was raised that your community is very important. Those are the people that support you day in and day out, that allow you to become who you become. So, uh, and I was taught that by my mom, by uh, friends who uh, were role models to me as a youngster. Uh, my dad died when I was five years old, and I had role models. The uh, parish priest was like a big brother. His name was Tom Mannion. I had met Jackie Robinson because I was a big Dodger fan as a kid growing up, and and he was so impressive, you know. And and he always, he lived in the community. He gave back to the community. So uh, when I came here, I met uh, Freddie Mae Gauthier, Toby Burton. Those were ladies who are very active in the community. And with them and the support of my wife, uh, you know, I got to see the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic down on 23rd. And uh, when I saw how uh, Dr. Blanche Lovizio treated the young people, uh, you know, they were providing health care to these people, uh, irregardless of their ability to pay, you know, uh, and and I was so impressed. And, uh, you know, because the young people are our future. They're tomorrow's doctors, lawyers, uh, athletes, politicians. They're the future. And we, and we need to make sure we take care of them and let them know that they're important, that they can make a difference. So, uh, and, and when I got involved, we, we, the first thing we did was uh, we, we did a roast. And I, I let myself be roasted. And, and then after that, I got a few other people. And then we changed it to a, a, a golf tournament. And then we added a dinner. And, uh, and it took the work of a lot of people in the community to help support that. So I'm so proud of uh, the fact that it has grown and it, it has another facility that can help young people, uh, you know, with health care, because health care is so important. Absolutely. And uh, a big event is coming up on Saturday uh, at two o'clock at Odessa Brown. And why don't you share with our listeners a little about what's going to happen on Saturday? Well, Saturday is an opportunity for them to see the clinic growing and developing, uh, they, they, it's sort of an open house. 
and uh, you know, and they can do a few more things. I mean, you know, um, they can do a little research, and you know, and we still need to work on sickle cell anemia, which is prevalent in the Afro-American community. You know, I mean, there are uh, a lot of things that are happening, growing, and the fact that it still will provide the health care that people have gotten used to. Uh, and, and you know, uh, a lot of people are welcome there. It, it, not only, uh, you know, African-American community, but, you know, the Indian, the Native American community, uh, any low-income person um, is welcome. And certainly, uh, you know, uh, we've had some wonderful support. Uh, people realize that, uh, this is a very important place, and so, like I said, it, you know, it gives back to the community, and the community is is where we all come from, what we've been a part of for most of our lives, and so uh, if it's a chance to give back, my wife and I are always there. Um, she's been very supportive of me in doing this, and uh, now that the pandemic is almost gone we're going to figure other ways that we can do maybe a fundraiser well that's great because i definitely want to give uh, your wife marilyn wilkins a shout out because uh she has been there i invited to be on the radio marilyn we think a lot of you that's why i extended the invitation because i know you've been there in guiding this ship and we certainly appreciate it i also want to thank your foundation too people like um, mickey flowers who, who uh, was a stalwart too. And there are a lot of, so many people, I don't want to leave anybody out, but those are the folks who, who come to mind. So what uh, what time is the event? Is it open to the public on Saturday? And can you just share a little bit of that information with us? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be at two o'clock. Um, and uh, it'll last about an hour and a half, you know. Uh, and, um, and, you know, we'll have a few people say a few words and then... Uh, if someone wants a tour, we'll have someone that can show them around and show them actually uh, what is happening there and, you know, what will take place and so forth. So, it, yeah, it is open, and uh, certainly uh, I'm going to be there. I'm looking forward to it. it. It should be a fun time. And what exactly are they naming? Uh, uh, you know who I left out? Dr. Ben Daniels. I really can't leave Dr. Ben out. Oh, never, never. Dr. Ben was the backbone of Vanessa Brown. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Dr. Ben Danielson, you know, when when Blanche Levizio was the first medical director, wonderful lady, gave all of herself to the clinic. And when she passed away, uh, Ben became the medical director. And what a wonderful, I mean, he has so much passion for young people and helping the, the clinic to become what it is. It wouldn't have existed, uh, wouldn't have achieved all that without people like Blanche Levizio and Ben Danielson. I mean, they, uh, if, if anything, uh, you can't say the clinic without mentioning their names. You're absolutely right. So exactly what will happen on Saturday at two o'clock, Coach Wilkins? Well, they'll have a couple of people say a few words, a new director uh, there. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, just uh, most people know what the clinic does, but just uh, to reinforce that it is strong in the community. Uh, and then they'll get a chance to, if they would like, uh, have a little tour of the building uh, because it's very impressive. 
And uh, we also have uh, have the street uh, by Climate Pledge Arena named uh, for the Lenny Wilkins, uh, Lenny Wilkins Way. Uh, I want to ask you right quickly, when do you foresee the Seattle area regaining the Seattle supersonics or a facsimile thereof? Well, uh, if my best guess, it's it's going to be between a, a year and a half to two years. I, I truly believe within a couple of years uh, we should uh, be able to get or have a team here. Uh, certainly Climate Pledge uh, Arena can support it, as well as hockey. It can support basketball. It's a beautiful building. You know, they did a magnificent job in remodeling the old Coliseum. Uh, this is what it should have been the first time. But uh, give big cu- uh, kudos to uh, Todd Liewicki. I mean, you know, he's very aware of the community and what it means to the community and how to draw people in. And they've done a wonderful job. So uh, I, I, I think he, he, he deserves a lot of credit for how it's become. And I agree. Uh and now, there has to be two teams, right? Uh, they say Las Vegas and Seattle. Is that how you see it as well? Yes, yes. They've mentioned uh, the two cities uh, the NBA has. so uh, and, and Vegas has a nice place to play also. Uh, when the Storm was playing in the tournament, I saw uh, one of the games in Vegas, and uh, they have a nice building. You know, Lenny, even though you've raised all the money, uh, you had those events, the golf tournament, the dinner. And, uh, you know, people, Spencer Haywood, uh, Gus Williams. Oh. Uh, I mean, folks from near and far, uh, uh, you know, just it, uh, the players that retired uh, here. Uh, so it's uh, I'm, I'm going to miss those folks. Uh, so some people are saying we wish Lenny would raise money for somebody else so we could get all these people back in town again, uh, because that was something that people look forward to uh, that that weekend of uh, the golf tournament and also the dinner that attracted all those folks uh, in. As a matter of fact, my friend Nesby Glasgow uh, was at the, the last one I attended because they started having uh, the Tunica Mississippi Policy Conference the same time as the golf tournament. But uh, anyway, what, I think that one of these days you might have to put together an all-star golf tournament and bring these people back to town. Oh, hey, I would love to, uh, Eddie, believe me. And 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 really, I'm, I'm so appreciative because the guys were so responsive, you know, magic. Uh, um, you know, um, Charles Barkley, uh, Clyde Drexler, you name it. And and they came, you know, Spencer Haywood. They, they, all these guys were very supportive of me and, and so doing very supportive of uh, the clinic. And, and as I said, you know, uh, they understand about young people uh, that that they're our future. And Absolutely. and we need to uh, communicate. We need to stay in constant contact with our young people, encourage them, let them know that they do make a difference. And and doing so, if, if you're healthy, you do things better. And, and so uh, I take my hat off to the clinic. I mean, I think that uh, it's been a godsend to the community. And I, I absolutely agree. And I'm just... Uh... So unfortunate that you still got a segment of society that's trying to cut out funding uh, to help, um, uh, you know, uh, people who are economically challenged. 
It's almost like the anti-abortion forces. You know, they want folks to have the babies, but then when it comes down to child care and Head Start and uplifting uh, young folks, uh, they're opposed to the funding. So it's kind of uh, hypocritical with those, some of the positions they take. So well, uh, I agree with you on that. I mean, you know, uh, to me, it, it's how do we make our community better? You know, it, 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 that's the question they should be asking. You know, how, how do we make our community better? We, we make it better by supporting it, by being a part of what goes on there, of helping. You know, it, it's like when they talked about defunding the police. No, you don't defund the police. You, it's how do we make the police better? You know, how do we make them accountable, uh, as we would with uh, people who live in the community? So uh, it's it's being involved, and uh, and, and we got to take ownership of that. And you're absolutely right, uh, Lenny. We have to, we have to, uh, uh, yeah, we have to, uh, I was waiting for Linda Thompson-Black to zoom in on the call. Uh, she hasn't made it yet. Uh, but anyway, Lenny, I really do appreciate all the work you've done. I can't give your wife, Marilyn, enough credit. Uh, she was right there, and she's just really been a stalwart uh, in the endeavors that you have been involved in and led to uplift uh, the Black community. So thank you very much, sir. We appreciate Always. you. See you Saturday at two o'clock. Okay, Eddie. I look forward to it. You take care, man. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lenny. All right, Coach, All right. NBA Hall of Fame coach, uh, and also uh, uh, the Supersonics uh, winning NBA championship in 1979. And in addition to that, uh, Lenny was an All NBA All-Star player as well as being a coach. So uh, hopefully uh, Linda Thompson-Black, she's on with us now. Uh, she's connecting right now while she's doing it. Let me say that uh, I want to thank Sound Transit Civil Rights Office, led by John T. Robinson, uh, the Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, uh, the City of Sales Purchasing and Construction Services uh, Division, led by Liz Alzier, the Port of Sale Diversity Contracting Office, Nian Rice, assisted by Lawrence Coleman and Josie Regan, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. They own the African Lounge and Mountain Room Bar on Concourse A. That's Jerry Witts at Rod O'Neill. And we do have Miss Linda the uh, Northwest Area Development Director. I hope I said that right, Ms. Thompson-Black, did I? And now Thank I can... you, Eddie. That was perfect. Okay, then. Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, give uh, our listeners a little update on what's happening with uh, uh, with the United Negro College Fund. You know, we now we're hearing a lot of folks come out against uh, Joe Biden. The President Biden is catering to Black folks. He wants to reduce some, some uh, uh, student loans and Pell Grant loans. Well, uh, first of all, y'all, black students weren't the only people receiving those loans. I think there are 75,000 people uh, in Washington State, it might be more than that, who are eligible, and they're not all black. So that's amazing how they always try to throw us under the bus to destroy something that's going to help uplift people. But go right ahead. Uh, Absolutely. Director. It is. It, it, it's really um, devastating to hear that because one, as you said, we are disproportionately, there are disproportionately more um, non-people of color that will benefit from this. But we have to be committed to um, opportunities for uh, students of color to obtain one of the most transformational things in anybody's life, which is education. And it, we, it, education is um, a national, the cost of education is a national crisis. It's becoming uh, something that the average person cannot afford without some support. So we are extremely um, happy 
for uh, and appreciative of the work that President Biden has done. It will really reduce the burden of students of color. Um, we have the one of the highest loan rates of any ethnic group, and we need this relief. So this is a very important um, time and a very important policy uh, that um, President Biden has implemented. And I know from you, NCF, we couldn't be more appreciative of his work on um, reducing the um, student debt loan and his support for HBCUs. Yes. Now, uh, I also have, uh, Angela, Angela, my daughter Angela, her first job in D.C. was with, with NAFIO, the National Association for Equal Opportunity in Higher Education, uh, led by Dr. Leslie Baskerville. And what kind of relationships do you have with Dr. Baskerville's group? You know, um, I'm not privy to all of the relationships that we have, but I know that we have a strong relationship with the um, Congressional Black Caucus. We are in partnership with uh, organizations across Washington, D.C. and the country. I don't happen to know that particular uh, um, relationship, but I do know that um, we have been the beneficiary of... um, President Biden's and the Congressional Black Caucus's um, wonderful uh, uh, work. And so we remain committed to his endeavors. Now, uh, in terms of uh, individuals getting information about UNCF and the possibility of uh, uh, whatever kind of financial aid package or direction people can get to go to school, how can they get in touch with your office? They can reach us at uh, www.uncf.org slash Seattle. And um, we are also, um, if students are involved in our portfolio project, they have the opportunity to apply. And there are scholarship opportunities on the UNCF uh, website as well. So um, we there are several different opportunities to receive scholarships. I also wanted to share with you that we are having our um, Pacific Northwest College and Career Fair. Um, It's called Fall into the Future. And it's on this Sunday, October 16th, 2022. It starts at 10 a.m. And we would love to have, um, you know, the community come out and support us, come out and bring your young people it's for ninth through 12th grade students, anyone in high school, but everyone is welcome. We will have a bouncy house, face painting and games for uh, younger children. If they are, um, if they're, if they're bringing siblings or if they're bringing family members, it is a really important um, opportunity because we want to connect uh, students with um, their high school and college academics and their career. So we have um, uh, different corporations coming to have a booth. Um, we have Microsoft, we have Starbucks, we have the city of Seattle um, and we have the Seattle police department. We have many, many um, Ernst and Young and many others that will be with us um, for the fair. We also have colleges from around the state and around the country that will be there. So we want people to come and take advantage of it. In addition to being very informative, 
we're going to have a lot of fun too. We're going to have some steppers and we'll have a DJ. Um, so we're going to have food trucks and it's going to be fun for all as we help young people get focused on making a, a, a living wage by making sure they have the skills that they need to participate in the uh, labor market. We also are, um, and if you have not decided the direction you're going, or if you have chose, if you have a, you want to have a vocational training or you want to get a certificate, we will have um, presenters who will be talking about that as well. And we have um, panels that will be discussing that. Alaska Airlines will be there. So I just want you, I want everybody to come out, bring your children and take advantage of this um, opportunity. Once again, that will be where and how can they get the information? Okay, it's going to be at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. That's 301 Mercer Street, Seattle, Washington, 98109. And you can reach us at um, www.uncf.org, Seattle. Give us an idea of like the number of students that you guys have helped get into college and also, would you accentuate the uh, the graduation rate? Um, you know, we have um, over the last ten years, we have helped uh, over a thousand students uh, get into co college through our portfolio project. We help them assemble everything they need to um, apply for college. To, and to apply for scholarships and to apply for financial aid. We help um, students who may have been afraid, un, not used to um, all of the paperwork associated with applying for college to become confident um, students who are prepared to make application and to start securing their future. So now, and across, and across the country, um, HBCUs, have approximately 60,000 60, students enrolled each year, and we graduate approximately 8,000 students. So every year we are contributing um, to uh, the workforce and creating educational opportunity for uh, students of color. I, I, I just want to say, watching college football, I see an overwhelming number of young Black men plan for colleges all across the country, but I hardly ever see two black student faces in the crowd. Yeah. I, you know, you know and, I'm just saying, I, you know, it, yep. it should be something like if you're going to have 90% of your team to be uh, African descent of the United States enslaved plan, then it needs to be a number that you'll be committed to in terms of a non-athlete student at that institution. And that's something we need to pursue because every team, if you watch college football, especially with the, the bigger schools, especially down where they oppose the civil rights and voting rights in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, you know, I, hopefully one of these days, young folks might decide to go another way so they can combat the exclusionary and racist practices of some of these institutions. And uh, the University of Washington is not looking that much better either. I don't see a whole bunch of black students there. The Tacoma campus is doing well. But uh, Miss Linda Thompson Black, uh, Area Development Director for United Negro College Fund. I really want to thank you for all the work you're doing, making sure that you and Lenny Wilkins are making sure our young folks have an opportunity. He's going to make sure they're healthy and you're going to make sure they're educated. So that's Absolutely. A good 
So I want to thank you very much, and I will uh, stay in touch so you can keep uh, my listeners informed on some positive things happening in America today. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for everything you do as well, Eddie. Okay. All right. So uh, uh, we will take a break and come back with Clarence Williams after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. All right, Eddie, right back off of that jamming music with uh, Eric in the studio there. My next guest is uh, Clarence Williams, uh, who was the president of the Seattle Black Firefighters Association. And uh, he was president when they bought this house. It's on the front page of the medium. Apparently, uh, some new black firefighters wanted to sell the property and use uh, whatever they got to, for scholarships. But if you may want a scholarship, call Linda Thompson Black, who was just on the air a minute ago. They, they get scholarships there. Call the, the National Association for the for Advancement and Higher Education. You get scholarships there. But uh, that's a historical landmark. And uh, Clarence Williams, uh, uh, the president of the retired Northwest uh, 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 Firefighters, has some uh, good news for us, and it's on the front page of the Seattle Medium yeah, as of yesterday. So, Clarence, go right ahead. Uh, thank you, Eddie, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about our plight. Uh, there is good news, and let's start with that. Uh, because of the lawsuit that we brought to uh, save the property in the Central District, uh, the owner who had put up earnest money and who had signed the contract to buy the house has now pulled out and sent a letter of recension. Uh, he said that the lawsuit was too much for him to bear and he did not want to have any part of it. And we have a signed document from him indicating that he's no longer interested in the purchasing of the property. So now our oh, plight is to continue in court to make sure we get this thing solidified 
so that uh, we won't have to go through this kind of thing again. Clarence, uh, give our listeners some kind of idea of when this uh, property was purchased. And I put a, a, a next to your picture on my Facebook page and your uniform, I put a picture of the black firefighters back in the day. And it seemed like there were a lot more back then than there is now. You know, that's actually true. And we had a lot of struggles going on at the time. But the organization, the founding organization of the Black Firefighters was uh, dedicated to the proposition of making sure that we increased our numbers. And we did that by going all the way to the United States Supreme Court, winning a lawsuit that started here in Seattle. They gave us the right to uh, hire one minority and one majority until we reached a percentage in the population. So we did have more, uh, obviously, more firefighters then than we do now. And it seemed like in 1920, in 2022, that our numbers are decreasing is going in the opposite direction. So it only points to the fact that we've got to be even more vigilant and stick together even more to make sure that we maintain the gains that we fought so hard to get uh, years ago. Now, the, that uh, lawsuit, you guys were in that, uh, that house on 23rd and Pike during that lawsuit, right? That's correct. We had already purchased that facility and, and it has even more sentimental value for us because after we had purchased the house, we had gone to the U.S. Supreme Court, which of course takes a lot more money. We used the uh, equity in that house to pay off the lawsuit that we won in the U.S. Supreme Court. And we since uh, paid it back on the house. So the house was and still is today free and clear of any debt. So the, it, the house has a lot of sentimental value as well as financial value uh, to the organization. Well, I uh, discussed with Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos. She was making me aware of some proviso that there's a, a interest in encouraging people to have his, uh, historical ethnic landmarks. Now, mm -hmm. I also want to mention that the attorney that won in U.S. Supreme Court, was that Lim Howe? It was. The infamous Mr. Lim Howe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure he got his credit because he... Absolutely. Served, yeah, yeah. He went to Supreme Court for me, too. Uh, All right, they my case. <laughs> I'm glad they heard yours because it affects a lot more people. Yes, sir. So what kind of, uh, uh, in terms of, we do have a Black Fire Chief. Uh, is He's a member of the, of the Seattle Black Firefighters Association, though? He is. He's a member. He's supportive of, you know, causes that we are fighting for. He can only do so much in his position. Uh, but as a member of the organization, uh, he certainly has a voting voice. And uh, he has hasn't always been informed of all of the things that's going on. As a member, we kind of are disheartened by that, but uh, he is a member of the organization. And once he retires, he'll be welcome into uh, the organization for retired black firefighters. Okay, now, uh, what is the next move in terms of, since uh, the owner has pulled out, have you guys been able to meet with the current black firefighters to let them know that this is a historical ethnic landmark. Uh, it's part of Black history in the city of Seattle. Do they realize uh, all the uh, toils and troubles and fights you guys had to endure just to get parity in the system? Mm. It seemed like they do not. And we have not been able to meet with the leadership of the uh, current firefighters and the active firefighters today. But many of the active firefighters who are members of the Seattle Black Firefighters Association are part of our lawsuit. And many others are supportive of what we're doing to maintain 
uh, that building and to raise funds for it. In that, there's two things that's going on. I heard you mention about uh, Representative Santos, and certainly our fight now is to maintain the ownership within the Black community. And once we do that, we certainly want to talk to her about making it a historical site and a historical landmark. But before we can get to that, we need people to help our fundraisers that we are having now to retire some legal debt. And anyone who would like to uh, help us in that direction would be greatly appreciated so we can uh, uh, make sure we continue our victories that we have won so far and so we can maintain that property within the area. And, and uh, hey, the, there Seattle, you go. the Seattle Medium, once again, next to Eric McCurdy, congratulations to that brother. He got fired by Denise Juno. Now he's the vice president and athletic director at Cal, Cal State University, Dominguez Hills. Every mm -hmm. brother that Juno got rid of came back bigger and better, including the superintendent and the assistant superintendent. But this uh, fundraiser is going to be uh, next Friday, uh, October 21st, from 8 to 1 at the Royal Esquire Club. And it's for the Seattle Black Firefighters property in the central area and to support the Northwest Association of Retired Black Firefighters. And I'm led by uh, my friend here, Clarence Williams. So, uh, and I understand that tomorrow morning you'll be on Chris B. Bennett's program on KRIZ, uh, trying to let, inform the community on what's going on and what they can do to assist us in retaining some of our uh, institutions that have served a purpose. And you would think that some people would be cherishing this. So I hope we don't have no Trump supporters in the, in the Black firefighters now. <laughs> well, we, we, we certainly hope not. And uh, as you rightfully reported, we are having this fundraiser uh, on the tw on the 21st of this month at the Royal Exquire Club. And many people remember the uh, Seattle Black Firefighters for having some of the most interesting parties uh, there is. And so when we uh, so come out to reminisce about the old times, and we're going to have a guest appearance of Chandler Williams, who will also be singing uh, there at the Royal Exquire Club. So we're going to we're going to do it up right and try and raise some money. And we're going to raffle off some great things in between, like tickets to the Mariners games and a week stay in a condominium and things like that. So it'll be fun and profitable for those who come out and support us. And once again, that will be uh, next Friday. It's from 8 to 1. And you can come early if you want to, if you can't stay out late, right? That's right. <laughs> if you can't stay late, come okay, early. <laughs> you know, for some of these brothers my age, you know, we can't, it can't hang like we used to. <laughs> That's right. I have to get permission from my wife when it's past 12 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. You just mentioned wife. I got to say happy birthday to my wife, Dr. Andrea Rye. Oh, Her great. birthday is today. So I'm glad you well, mentioned wife because I'd have been in trouble. If I <laughs> well, she's so, just a few days after mine. Mine was October 1st. So that's Right. And her company. sister Loretta, my sister-in-law, Loretta MacGyver, hers was October 4th. I think Lee Carter's was the 11th, but October is yeah. full of, Angela Rye's October 26th. October is full of uh, birthdays. Yes, sir. <laughs> so Clarence, well, we'll be, uh, anything we can do to support, you know, we'll be willing to do that uh, because we think it's really important for us to hold on to uh, historical Black institutions, especially ones that went all the way to Supreme Court to win for us. Mm -hmm. And now, New folks going to disrespect us. So yeah. I'm really pleased to hear that some of the current Black firefighters are supportive in the lawsuit and also supportive behind the scenes. So I don't think there's any repercussions for them supporting justice, is it? I, I should think not. And if there is, we're here as retired firefighters to speak up on their behalf and fight for them. 
Okay, Clarence. Hey, man, thank you very much. And uh, I wish you all the success in the world. And for the people that didn't get to hear everything today, this will be, uh, this broadcast will be available at about five o'clock on Alexa and my podcast for the rest of the week, then archived on the Urban Forum Northwest website, urbanforumnw.com. So uh, thank you very much, brother. And uh, keep on keeping on and keep strong. Okay. All right, and thank you. All right. Okay, so now we're going to transition to another leader in the community. Uh, Mar yeah, Dr. Marsha Taylor-Rung is the academic dean at the Evergreen State College, Tacoma campus, and she's doing some fantastic things over there, and they got a big event coming up on Sunday, and I'm going to let her moderate this part of the program because she knows a whole bunch more about it than I do, and I want to thank Stephen for being on the program, waiting for you, Marsha. For the last oh, hour, yes. we'll go right ahead. Hello. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. I just want to say hello to you, Eddie, and thank you for your years of service to our community. You, you are amazing. It's such a privilege to be on this radio show with uh, that you host. And how many years you have been keeping this radio show going? You, I don't. I know it's more than. It's got to be ten years. Well, that and then KYAC off yes. and on from '72 to it closed down in 1981. And yes. then in between then at KRIZ, oh doing 84 during the Jackson campaign in the last yes. 10 here. And we have been joined by the star. Yes. Good afternoon, Erica. We'll call you the star because you are. And now I can just introduce these incredible people I have had the pleasure of meeting over the months as we've been planning a special event coming up in both Seattle and Tacoma. And I have on today, Miss Erica Huggins, original member of the Black Panther Party. Oh yeah, she was putting it down then. She's just as beautiful now. Just a little white hair, but that's okay. Good afternoon, Erica. Good afternoon. And then we have Stephen Shames we are joined by because Stephen and Erica have their latest project they're going to talk about. Stephen is a professional photographer and he was there through those Black Panther days and has documented through his photography that whole era of the Black Panther Party. But today, and, and thank you for being here, Stephen. You're welcome. Glad to be here. All right. Now, but I got to tell you, this is the best part. Erica and Stephen have actually been able to pull together photographs, beautiful and amazing photographs and stories about the Black Panther Party through the lens of the women who were significant in upholding the Black Panther Party for so many years. And that's also true in Seattle, but across the country. And Erica, who reigns in California, um, and her history is known to many of us because she was a household word at one point. Um, and Erica, I'd like to ask you to begin by telling us what inspired you to do this work, to come up with that beautiful new coffee table book of photographs called Comrade Sisters. Well, what inspired me was something I thought I had at that that was became a dream of having a book that having a something. I didn't even know if it needed to be a book, but a way to value and honor and acknowledge 
the hundreds of women who did so much work to sustain the, the community survival programs of the Black Panther Party. There were 64 of them. And to bring the party pinpoint program to life through um, service to community. And it's no one, there's no blame for one person or the other. It's just the way it goes that men usually are recognized and then later the women. But I wanted to do this 30 years ago. So I was quite inspired when Stephen called me and said, I've done books on the Black Panther Party before. He has two other beautiful books. Um, we haven't focused on the women. Would you be co-author of, of, of this book with me, a photo journal with me? And I said, yes. And I thought, it's about time. Yes, and so I think it was just a year ago, or maybe a few months more, that we embarked on this project. And the words inside the book, the photos are incredible. Yes. Words inside the book are from women who were then in those photographs, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and Erica, now I'm... Now, I, I just want to say that I understand that seven out of 10 people who were involved in those groundbreaking projects of the programs of the Black Panther Party were women. Absolutely. And that's that, that same was true for the civil rights movement. The yeah. same is true for all of the, the work. So I figured rather than just let it go to the side, my dream was let's bring it forward and thank all of these women. It's, you know, I think most people can think of four or five women of the Black Panther Party. And I certainly can. Yeah. So, so we, as, as Stephen and I are on book tour, we're women are who served in communities like Seattle and San Francisco, New York, Chicago, um, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, women are traveling with us to, to, to speak about their own experience, their lived experience. Oh, that is awesome. And Stephen, you followed the Black Panther Party for how many years to create this uh, collection of photographs? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, basically 1967 to 1973. I, I started, I was a student at Berkeley and I brought some pictures by uh, the office and Bo Chairman Bobby Seale um, loved the pictures and asked if he could use them in the newspaper. And I said, sure, sure. And handed him the, you know, back then we didn't have digital. We had like paper, you know, pictures on paper. Um, so I handed him, I want the younger people to understand, I didn't hand him a digital file. I handed him an actual <laughs> photograph. Mm -hmm. um, and they put him in the paper and that, um, you know, the relationship just grew till I became the person that the Panthers trusted to be behind the scenes. So I was in the homes, I, I photographed the programs, I photographed the school that they started, which later be became the school that, that Erica was the principal of. 
And the last thing I, I did in 1973 was I worked almost for a full year every day on Bobby Seale's campaign um, for mayor of Oakland. Mm. Um, so it was in, but I was just astounded by the women, you know, they blew me away. And I, I, um, you know, in the previous two books included women, but didn't focus on the women. And I, like Erica was just been thinking about it, you know, and, and um, I'm really delighted that this book came out because I think it's the first and only book. It's certainly the first photo book and it may be the only book that focuses on the women of, of the Black Panther Party. And I, you know, the, uh, we all know the Black Panther Party was an incredibly important um, party that's left a, a legacy. And that's also the legacy of the women. And, and I think it's important that the women don't get swept under the rug this time. Absolutely. And so you all have put this beautiful book together and you are coming, you're on tour now. I understand you were at Stanford University yesterday. And on this Sunday, October 16th, you will be at the Washington Hall right here in Seattle. And then you will be coming to the wonderful Evergreen State College uh, Tacoma, you know, I have to say wonderful because I'm only thinking of Dr. Maxine Mims, who is the founder of Evergreen State College, a black woman who thinks she says this is the only black historically black college this side of the Rockies. And you will be visiting here. So we are so honored to have you. Can you tell us about your tour and what are your messages? Uh, Erica, could we begin with you? I believe you're having a panel. Well, everywhere we go, we've been hearing themes. And um, someone asked me just today, what are the themes and what are some of the questions you're being asked? And as I was thinking about it, the overarching theme is love. Mm. We love the people we were serving. Yes. We listen to people. The Black Panther Party's programs didn't come from that that, remember that old paradigm where you went out and told people what they needed? Mm -hmm. It not like that. We went and we said, because the people we talked to were sometimes our peers, but sometimes they were our elders. And we said, what should we do? What do you think we ought to do? And it was specific city to city, or at least, you know, in a particular area of the United States, because it's similar, but it's not all alike. Well, you know, when we think about the the programs that were established, it's really obvious that women had to play a role in that. That's when right. we talk about nourishing the children through the Children's Free Breakfast Program or sickle cell testing, that speaks directly to a woman's concern for the children. And for the family and for the community. Men have the same concern, but there's something that I noticed. I'm a woman myself, and I just noticed that the trust that people had for us, mm. they would come and tell us things. I know I told you that you should feed the babies. I know that. But you know what? I'm scared to go to the grocery store. Mm. 
or the supermarket or the bank. Yes. I'm scared of being robbed. So we started a seniors program called Seniors Against a Fearful Environment, the SAFE program. We listened and we loved the people. It wasn't just, oh my God, I got to go out and feed some people. Mm-hmm. It was, we, we woke up every day feeling overjoyed to get up at the crack of dawn and make breakfast for the children who were so happy. Yes. We felt happy to send them off to school. And I'd like to point out that there were no children's free breakfast programs in this public school system like we find it today. In fact, the, the Black Panther Party shamed the public system to make sure that breakfast could be provided for the children. The you know, National, I'd like, yes. Yeah. The National and, Free Breakfast and Lunch Program. There you go. And so we you, have, we you have are groundbreakers. Uh, Dr. T- uh, Runga, T- we have uh, Tater Runga, we have two minutes left. Okay. I want to say, Go right uh, ahead. when I was uh, the director of the Educational Talent Search Program at camp, uh, a lady, a radical woman, an older white lady named Greg, uh, Gloria Martin said, it's a shame that we all have jobs and nobody's contributing to the free breakfast program. And uh, mm-hmm. the executive director, Harold Whitehead, from now on, we will be supplying, and Elmer Dixon can tell you right now, also, yes. I want to acknowledge the, the fact that a former Panther, Gary Owens, passed away uh, and his service will be on the 27th. I want to say that. But mm-hmm. I also, uh, Marsha, anytime we got one minute to wrap up, but anytime you have anything like this. So you're gonna, you you mentioned Washington Hall. I'm going to see them. When are they going to be at Washington Hall? Okay, so Washington Hall will be on the 16th of October, beginning at 1.30. Is that correct? Okay. 1.30. And uh, and in Tacoma at the Evergreen State College, Tacoma, they will be speaking at six o'clock. And I will just mention that Stephen, as a photographer, will be giving a, a brief session about how to do this kind of photography and also what he um, has learned. But he says he wants you to come with your questions. Those of you who are interested in learning more about photographing, this is the way we're going to preserve our history, Eddie. You're right. We've got to hear the stories from our people and we've got to learn the tools and see them pass on the tools. Okay, I want to thank all y'all. Thank you for moderating Dr. Tateranga and I also I'm want to thank yes. and also Stephen, and I'll see you guys in one place or another. So thank you all very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. We appreciate y'all. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. Okay, we'll take this break, uh, Eric, and close out. See y'all on Sunday. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at PortSeattle.com. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. 
Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Live Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Don't let that herd mentality lead you off a cliff. We support thinking for yourself on Alternative Talk 1150. I want to thank uh, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Diversity, and Inclusion, headed up by uh, John T. Robinson. I want to thank the Port of Sales Diversity Contracting Office, SeaTac Bar Group LLC that owns the Africa Lounge and Mountain Room Bar on Concourse A at SeaTac. Uh, also, uh, I just got a little note here. I think this Saturday, uh, if I'm 10 to 1, there'll be a book signing in Evergreen, Tacoma, once again, with Dr. Mims will host this breakfast from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Book signed with three authors, Dr. Joy Hardeman, Peter Bacho, and Monica Alexander. And don't forget that uh, you also, we just heard from Erica Huggins and Stephen Shames. And my moderator of that event, of that panel was uh, Dr. Marsha uh, Taterunga. Uh, I want to also uh, let folks know that next week, uh, I'm going to ask Elmer Dixon and Larry Gossett uh, to do pay tribute uh, to uh, Gary Owens, who passed away. Uh, his memorial will be uh, October 27th at the Filipino Community Center. That's two weeks from the day. It's beginning at 4.30. But we'll hear some more about that, brother, and his contributions uh, on next uh, next Thursday. Uh, also remember, uh, two hours or so after the live broadcast on Thursdays, the program's available on, on Alexa and uh, on also on my podcast. And then after a week, it's archived on Urban Forum, uh, www.urbanformnw.com. Thank you very much, Eric. Have a good weekend. I'll see everybody later. Talk to you again next week.